Hello and welcome to Geek Warning, brought to you by the Escape Collective. I'm your host, Dave Rome, and I'm joined today by Ronan. Ronan, how you doing? Um, I'm good. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Good? Yeah. yeah okay. I'm not sure if I'm telling you or telling just, myself, but I'm good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can tell us both, because uh, it's just the two of us yes. uh, and all the listeners. Uh, James is... I'm going to throw him under the bus here. James is in Toronto, uh, Canada, uh, reshooting uh, some factory tours that he had already shot uh, a few, maybe a month ago. Uh, and yeah, he, uh, he, he was being uh, diligent, doing his work on the, the flight home and left his memory card and his USB hub on the plane without a backup. Uh, so he had to go back and and yeah, photograph the whole tour again. So, but anyway, there's some cool factory tours coming, and uh, I'm sure the photos will be even better with him having done them in a, in a second time. So, well, let's hope the USB hub makes it home this time. Yep, yep. Uh, there's also going to be some special podcasts coming from that trip of his. So, uh, yeah, we've got some Bridgeworks bikes and uh, frameworks designs uh frameworks designs uh which so yeah two makers in the space there doing really really creative things in their own ways and so yeah i think he's going to have some deep dive podcasts with each of them uh which will be published on our members only geek warning feed so if you're not already escape collective member you will get the tease of those episodes but you'll only get the whole thing if you're a member uh just like ronan's performance process hmm that was where I, I was throwing to you to explain what performance process was. Well, performance process for anybody who doesn't know is the podcast where we delve into all the performances that go into the best performances that we see. You kind of throw me on the spot here. Uh, I'm thinking, Sorry. thinking back to when we launched the podcast and trying to think exactly what it was about. Uh, perhaps I should just tease this week's episode, which is Please. a follow up, which to our pit walk podcast with JP Ballard, that. Not to spoil the illusion or anything, was recorded before we did that Pit Walk podcast. So it's the follow-up that was pre-recorded. Uh, here's one we made earlier. Prequel. With JP Ballard. It's the three-hour episode I've been ranting on about over and over again. Um, we're going we're gonna to split yeah. into a couple of episodes. Um, part of it will land this Friday. And unlike the Star Wars prequels, this one is actually better than the original. I think they're all equally good. Not really okay. a big Star Wars fan. You kind of got me there. I I know that yeah the the last ones came before the first ones, which does match what's happening here with the the JP Ballard podcast. <laughs> yes. So. All right, let's move on. We've got a bunch of news to talk about today. We've also got uh, Be- before I get hit, we'll I, I don't mind lately. Star Wars. I just yeah. I, I just I'm not like yeah. It's a long time since I don't I've worry. Watched I wouldn't them worry now. about it. Wade Wade doesn't <laughs> listen to this podcast. You'll be fine. Uh, anyway. Got a full episode this week, a lot of news to talk about, uh, mainly around some pretty interesting things. There's a recall in there, there's a, a way to add a UDH to a specialized drop bar bikes that aren't UDH compatible, there's a new cyclocross specific bike, uh, we've got an update on some fancy pedals that we previously spoke about, also going to talk about what we've been testing and uh, yeah, of course, we've got the PSA and a little bit of a wrap up from industry news. Ronan, let's jump into some of the, the bigger headline news of the week. Uh, you sent me a link to Tubo Light, who are known for making some of the lightest tire inserts in the market. They're, they're popular in the mountain bike world, uh, but they've got a new model called the Diamana, and uh, you just 
asked, please explain with the exclamation mark. So, can you introduce what we're talking about here? Uh, yes, this is the new Diamana SL and Diamana HD inserts for, well, for cross-country tires from what I understand, um, from Turbo Light. Uh, and the thing that caught my eye about these was, well, it was some of the messaging about them. They first popped up on Tubalite's Instagram. I followed the link to their page and, yeah, I immediately met with the uh, huge big headline, Unfair Advantage. Uh, this is where mm. the world, this is where, why can't I read this? <laughs> I think I can't read this because it's, it's something lost in translation. This were the words of our pro writers, so that's why I can't read it. Yes, sorry. I, th- I thought I was going crazy there. Um, basically, the the part that really caught my eye was the mention of the lateral channels, which are shaped to create a venturi effect, meaning that airflow through the channel increases speed as channels get smaller. This is the same principle of Formula One cars ground effect, and effectively, what Tubalite are claiming here is that uh, they have incorporated aerodynamics to inside the tire from what I can understand. Mm. I can't quite understand it though, so that's why I asked for someone to please explain. Yeah. So when you're looking at these inserts, uh, inserts are normally like a, a piece of foam of a consistent shape that sort of surrounds the 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 rim and sits inside the tire. These are kind of like this weird sort of wavy shape that... Do like the petals of almost, a flower almost, that kind of shape, aren't they? Yeah, petals of a flower, like the, the stacked, dimes of a weld in a sense and they sort of go in and out in shape and to me it kind of seems a bit funny because it's an insert but there looks to be like vulnerable points in the shape where like if you're tight like you know that that parts of the rim might be more exposed than other parts they're also uh, i almost said so, they're also rubbed for extra pleasure i meant to say they're also dumbled <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day it's, it's been it. a very long day. Uh, they're also dimpled. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. They're saying dimpled like the like the surface of a golf ball for, again, aerodynamic properties. Ronan, is this the first time you've come across aerodynamic claims that are hidden from the wind of outside? Yes. I mean, like, uh, as we all know, uh, in almost all cases, there there is air inside or tires. Uh, someone's gone badly mm. wrong if, if there isn't uh, unless you've got a solid tire and so I mean yeah I can't say that aerodynamics are not at play but this is the yeah. first time I've seen aerodynamics or the claimed benefits of improved aerodynamics on a bicycle hidden inside some part of that bicycle <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and not immediately evident how those aerodynamics are at play. I will also say that while I am not an aerodynamicist, it is also definitely the first time that, you know, I I, I certainly couldn't come up with some of the aerodynamic interventions that we see in, in bicycle designs these days. But when it is explained to me how it works, I think I'm usually sort of somewhat decent at picking up and understanding how the, how the, the claims are working at least. Um, yeah. And I just can't for the life of me figure this out. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, what they're claiming is that they're at the point of impact, so you hit a square edge root or, or rock as you, yeah, as the tire compresses, the, the shape of this insert is allowing the air to more freely flow away from 
that point of impact. So you it gets absorbed better. Probably uh, in the case of these mountain bikes, uh, it gets absorbed more quickly and therefore uh, before the suspension can even react. Uh, that's basically what they're trying to do. Whether it actually does that, I don't know. I, I'm I'm going to say sure. Uh, let's 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 see how well this plays out. But I think what is interesting is that. Tubo Light, not to be confused with Tubo Lito, who make the orange uh, TPU inner tubes. Tubo Light, which is this insert company out of Italy, uh, they their whole brand name comes from the fact of having the lightest inserts. They they offer inserts that are 20, 25 grams, 30 grams sort of space, where a lot of their competitors are in the 150 to 250 weight range. Uh, but this one, this new... Um, venturi effect style insert uh is 100 plus grams uh and they do have models that are heavier again so it's it's using a a closed cell foam that that is much more similar to the likes of Kushcore. um so yeah it's it's kind of interesting for this brand to release something that's quite different to its initial brand purpose and to try uh yeah, innovate in a space that's already pretty well established. So, the, um, yeah, the, time will tell if it's if it's something you could even pick up on. Yeah, there, there's also claimed rolling resistance improvements. Uh, I think the claim is that rolling res, rolling resistance on rough surfaces is reduced up to nine percent, which seems compared to what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that like nine yeah. percent. Um, yeah, that's a big big number. Um, yeah. And like in terms of the, yeah, like the 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 compression and the rebound and all that 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 part I sort of got. What's what's really throwing me out was the the cross section view of of this, where yes, there's a central channel where presumably air can can flow through, but the from from what I can see in this cross section, the insert, you know, is is sort of closes off whatever other channels there may be for the air to flow through. And, and yeah, that, that's where I'm just not really, uh, you know, it seals against mm. the tire. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just finding this one difficult to, to fathom. Yep. <laughs> anyway, we'll see how it, uh, yeah, plays out. I'm sure, uh, I can't say we've got any coming in for test, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether, I, I'm not sure if we were some, clear, but the dumples also and that, uh, the, the dumpled surface, the dumples on the upper portion of the insert, um, which Tubalite have said take inspiration from dumples on a golf ball, which I mean is fairly yeah, that's that the dumples have been used for aerodynamic purposes, mostly on golf balls, also on zip wheels, other things. Uh, but together with the insert's wave shape, they help air not to bounce back to the tire, causing a strong rebound effect, but rather f- to flow into the lateral channels, which I I am not in a position to to say that isn't going to happen, but I can't see that works inside a tire. Mm. All right. Well, yeah. Let's see how this plays out in the market. Uh, is an interesting looks cool. release. Uh, yeah, it looks cool, but no one's going to see it. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> not even the wind. No. Uh, Ronan, what's happening with the koi pedals? We, we spoke about these on last week's episode. They're, uh, I guess, best described as a very lot elongated pedal system where the cleat appears to be built into the, the shoe sole of some kind. Uh, and they were getting some race use. So what's happened now? Uh, yeah, those eco pedals were in the news last week, successfully broke the internet with their 
new look and the claims of or the suggested eight watt benefit that they offer um in the news again this week because when team nice metropole cote d'azur tried to take to the start line for stage one of the etoile de passage stage race in france uci commissaires on site intervened to tell the team no can do uh, those pedals are prototypes and have not been listed in the correct manner with the uci for use as prototypes in uci sanctioned events and as such you cannot use these pedals in today's race and unfortunately they told the team this within one hour of the start of the stage which when you consider that these pedals require a proprietary sole design on the shoe meant that the riders Mm. who were like not near their hotel and presumably didn't have all the shoes at the hotel anyway couldn't just rush back and pick up new shoes and pedals from their from their own supplies so then had to go around other teams and shops in the and sort of the locality to try and find pedals and shoes to start the race um a friend of ours matosfellow.fr was on site witnessed this all happen has reported the whole event on his website matosfellow.fr um yeah and so sort of broke this news That's and then a lot of other uh, sites have, have seen this and, and picked up on it. I, I, want, I want to intervene here much like the UCI did and sort of the, the initial reaction is damn UCI intervening again and why are they being so silly? In this case, I don't actually think they were. I mean, like it or loathe it, agree with it or not, the rules are actually pretty clear now on the use of prototypes and right. the requirement to fill out the... Uh, prototype application form has been effective since January of last year. Um, most mm. manufacturers at this point should be aware of it. I presume this is perhaps the first time Ecoi have had to use a prototype since then. Um, and from what I understand, they did actually follow the procedure. They did submit the form. They just hadn't done it on time. And as such, the UCI then, well, I mean, the the, the pedals, they, the, they haven't been registered through the correct channels for use as a prototype. And... I mean, the UCI definitely could have handled it better than letting the team know an hour before the start of the stage. But yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, especially when you consider that they were used three days earlier. Probably an oversight there. The commissaire can't be expected to be checking people's pedals on site, but it was in all the news for about two days after that. Yeah, there, there yeah. surely should have been time to let them know. And if there wasn't, presumably there should have been some sort of dispensation to say, okay, 24 hours from now, we have a second stage starting. You can't use them for that stage. I mean, just forcing yep. riders to start with new pedals, new cleats, new shoes with, that they haven't the time to set up as a recipe for injury as far as as far as far I can. Yeah, that's that's my point. It's like, yeah, a change of pedal system and a change of shoes completely changes your bike fit and getting them to do that. Yeah, an hour before certainly isn't enough time to adjust the bike fit around that. So you're basically forcing riders to adopt a position they're not trained in. So it's, it's just, it, it wasn't handled all that well, but certainly the, the initial fault here, I, I, you know... I don't yeah, think it's sure. with the UCI in this case. You know, the, the the rules are pretty clear. And and the rule in question is, it's the commercialization rule, Article 1.3.006, um, which, you know, it clearly states, there, there's actually one line, of the only, the first line of that rule is all that's required to tell you what that rule is all about. It's basically that you cannot use products that are not available to order um, in professional races. Things have to be commercially mm-hmm. available. The next five paragraphs or so are just all about the different scenarios around prototypes and and how prototypes can be used and the only actual outright ban on the use of any sort of prototypes is in track record 
uh, attempts. So like Filippo Ganna's R record was the last record attempt you could actually use a prototype uh, component okay. within. Um, and from now there's this new application form. There's a fee to pay, but everything is clearly listed on there. Everything from frame fork and handlebar like uh, modules to right down to helmets, pedals, shoes, everything is listed there. Um, and and so, so it's they should have seen this coming. I mean, yeah, Equi is a helmet brand, especially like the and from what I understand, they were aware they just hadn't submitted the documents in time. Um, right. But it, it's sort of, I have, a, I have a piece about to publish on escapecollective.com, sort of delving into this in more detail. And okay. it's sort of, yeah, I mean, the fact that the UCI are getting involved in, it, you know, they want, to, they want to see prototype pedals registered with them. I mean, is that sort of overstepping the mark with how far they should be governing the sport? You know, I'm sure they think not. Others will think it it is. Um, I think the the gist of my entire piece is that actually this just highlights the greater issue happening here in terms of commercialization, in terms of the eco pedals might be the 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 headline piece this week. But you know, last week we had a seven thousand dollar skin suit from ASOS. The week before that we had a sixty thousand dollar track bike from Factor. Those prices, they. They only exist because of the eco, or because of the commercialization rule, and yeah. the 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 manufacturers and the teams developing this stuff for the Olympics cannot make these components exclusively for themselves. So what they do is they price them to make them exclusive, uh, and, yeah. in every sense, but actually being exclusive, uh, nobody's going to buy. Yeah, I'd say I'd say the first time we ever saw that was probably like Hansino shoes with Adam Hansen's shoe, footwear that he you know, it, he would use himself. Uh, and yeah, we've certainly seen it from other, you know, uh, GB track team and and others since. So it it used to be uh, that, like if I think back to the UK sport, uh, GB team bikes at the Olympics and that they were like the initial, the commercialization rule I think was introduced in 2010, and then for 2012 the GB team had said, well, you can order this thing. There's just a very lengthy waiting list, and I think if you had ordered one back then you'd still be waiting today for your frame to turn up. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, it's not coming. Uh, but yeah, the right. UCI sort of sidestepped that loophole by by making it mandatory that items must be available within 12 months. Uh, you know, there's still, there, there's exceptions to that. Like we've seen, we've seen countless bits of prototype equipment introduced into the world tour that hasn't actually been available within 12 months. And... That's just typical Kickstarter timelines. Yeah, we've we've well, we've never seen anybody like expunging the results because they used I don't know wet weather tires that never actually made it to the market or something like that. So that's sure. you know, that, that hasn't happened. Um, but maybe that's what it takes. And and again, going back to my piece, what I'm what I've started diving into is just that the UCI is kind of on a hiding to nothing here. They're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't, and that. They kind of, you know, the I think the the reasons for the commercialization rule are admirable, but you know the reality is that it's just not really enforceable. And this is trying to get the tech genie back into the bottle, and he's refusing to go mm-hmm. back into the bottle. Uh, yeah, fair enough. And and finally, just on the prototype like, rule, it, it kind of just makes it a, a like the the UCI has they've retained this avenue for registering prototypes, but they've said that. The only prototypes that can be approved are ones that are um, in the you know quotation marks here in the final stages of development. Close quotations and also must be available to purchase within twelve months. And that that to me is not a prototype. That is a product that is 
pretty much yeah. ready to launch. And as such, that's a pre-production product. Yeah, and and as such, the yeah. the, the prototype testing within the World Tour Peloton now is not testing things to at you know the highest level in cycling. It's just an early marketing stunt or, or marketing exercise. Yeah. Not, not a stunt, an exercise. Yeah. Sorry, and that you know the manufacturers will have a new product show up in a World Tour Peloton, and it's not testing it. It's just like yeah, getting some excitement built about it before the launch. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I don't think we're going to solve that one, but uh, it is definitely an interesting one, and uh, yeah. Hopefully, uh, we see those pedals make a return. Uh, yeah, enough. and that's but, that's uh, sort of what I wanted to get to as well. Is that the the reporting about this has that the is that the pedals have been banned, and from what I understand, the pedals are not banned. They simply were not registered as prototypes. There 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 doesn't seem to be any reason why they yeah. they will not be approved in future. And the initial reaction of oh, the UCI don't like the look of them, so they banned them, isn't accurate either. That's that's you know it's probably important to say that. Gotcha. Speaking of UCI things, uh, there's a new bike that's UCI approved, the Ridley X Knight. So it's a new cyclocross uh, specific bike, which is something we don't see too often. Uh, but yeah, it's. I'll give the quick summary and then I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about this, Ronan. But uh, it's only available in four sizes. Uh, it has aerodynamic features, including uh, integrated cable routing through the front end. There's a UDH, a universal derailleur hanger at the back for uh, use with transmission if you want it. Uh, and the seat post isn't round. It's uh, it's D-shape uh, where, again, they're claiming some aerodynamic benefit. But the main reason uh, seems to be that if you uh, go all out for an on your bike and you kick your saddle, that the seat post doesn't uh, swivel. Um, it, just, it just holds straight. So, but yeah, Ronan, uh, aerodynamic cyclocross bikes... Is this the first that's making that claim? I know Cervelo have the R5CX, which kind of looks a bit aerodynamic and is integrated cabling, but I don't know. I'm not aware of other brands that have claimed to have full aero CX bikes. I I don't think it's the first. Um, there there aren't all that many. I think the Panarello Crossista F uh, might yes. well be in that category also. Um and and then there are other, of which the Ridley, the existing Ridley X Knight, I think was one of uh, uh, bikes that have internal cable routing. Um, but as we were sort of saying here before we hit record, at, at this point, and 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 don't come through the screen at me now, Dave, when I say this, but uh, but I, I think I'm writing saying at at this point the internal cable routing is no longer an aero intervention; it is purely an aesthetics thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think no arguments there. Yeah, uh, I think most. Most people who want internal cable routing probably want it for that reason that it just looks so much cleaner at the front end. Yeah, um, I think I think in CX that there's a there's an argument for where you don't have cables to snag, um, like everything is hidden. But the downside is the CX is the one sport where your bike's going to get pressure washed while you're using it, <laughs> and then again afterwards. Uh, so I think yeah, like just. For, uh, if they've done, if they've gone to the effort of really sealing this, then great. But I don't actually think there's any bike on the market that is sealed that well, where those headset bearings aren't going to get screwed within half a season. Um, and for anybody listening to the podcast who doesn't watch cyclocross, they're not power hosing the riders as they ride by. The riders have 
many yes. bikes on site at a race yep. that they change between yeah. races. Sorry, which, the bikes the bikes are getting uh, pressure well, washed. Well, while my point, the my point was going to be is that bikes. there are yeah. multiple headsets per lap being destroyed. Yes, <laughs> not, not just yes. one. <laughs> um, and but I mean, I going back to your initial question, aerodynamic cross bikes. I I was quickly trying to Google what the sort of average speeds were. Um, for, they go pretty quick. I mean, yeah, th- from what I understand, it could be up to like 32k an hour or something. Um, and, and I think yep. the important thing to remember here is that regardless of what speed they're doing, any mm-hmm. aerodynamic aid is not going to hurt them. It's it, yeah. it may offer some help, it may offer no help, but it's not really going to hurt unless it adds some exorbitant amount of weight that the riders then going to have to shoulder as they're running through the course or whatever, or if it's an some sort of design element that just retains mud on the frame, that's not going to help. But if everything else has been equal, having a more aerodynamic cyclocross bike is not going to hurt performance. Uh, And in this case, in the case of the Ridley, I think the result is just a damn good-looking cross bike also, which I kind of like. It does. It does look very nice. Uh, Information's pretty pretty lacking in the press release, so I don't know... Uh, you know, tire clearance, for example, it looks pretty generous above the tire, but I'm not sure about absolute width availability. Uh, certainly, they they've yeah designed this one really for racing in mind, so they've still got their hands on a gravel bike for for people that want uh, larger tires again with gravel geometry. But yeah, it's cool. Like there's there's not too many purpose built cyclocross bikes on the market, so it's nice to see a new one, even if uh, it's gonna. Um, continue to make Shimano's brake hose shortage a problem. Hmm. Um, wasn't aware of a brake hose shortage. That's, uh, but I, it I seems, should have been. It, it seems whenever I need a brake hose, I, I struggle to get uh, I get access. And I think you ran into yes. that issue recently I mean, that's well. what I was going to say. I should, have, I should have been aware of said shortage because um, yeah. when I tried to secure road hoses recently, there were only mountain yeah. bike hoses available. Um, yeah, and, and the ones on your bike were experiencing a shortage themselves. They were, they 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 were, <laughs> they were shortened uh, to, yes. to match the dropped uh, stem position. Uh, and yeah, and- I'm I'm not convinced that Shimano around the world, like all the different uh, offices of Shimano around the world, have really done the forecasting. Uh, I think they've been caught off guard by how many headset repairs uh, are causing hose sales. Hmm. And I think it just wasn't necessarily on their forecast based on how often these things are out of stock at the moment. And to be clear, the the mountain bike hose will work on a road lever if you use the right olive yep. and barb. Um, it's just the compression might not be the same. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Or the pressure might not be the same. Isn't that? No? Uh, internal diameter, yeah, I so believe, you, is different. So you sort of but yeah. you lose a bit of brake pressure is what I'm... Yeah, so you're talking about a BH59 versus a BH91 BH 90, BH90 hose, uh, which do use different uh, olive and barbs. But, uh, oh, they use different barbs. I think the olives are the same. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, the BH90 is the one to go for. That is also used on the mountain bikes. It's just the BH59 is like the older, cheaper hose these days. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, this isn't an Ask a Wrench episode, so we'll stop talking about brake hoses. Uh, what was the uh, point I was going to get to there? Uh, the point I was yes. going to get to was that I am pleasantly surprised, and part of why I was keen to include this in the news roundup was that there has been a trend at this cyclocross season of riders riding gravel bikes and in cross, yeah. and it's more often than not in cases where a supplier perhaps doesn't have a cyclocross bike, the 
the Willie or Rave SLR was used. I think it was Lewis Askey of Group Ama FTJ had used one of those, but Willie or don't make a cyclocross bike, so that makes sense. There was a couple of others yeah. that are escaping my mind right now, and of course, White Van Art had used a Cervelo Aspro instead of a R5 CX for for Zolder, I think it was. Um, and so yeah. I thought that was perhaps the beginning of a trend, the disappearance of cyclocross bikes. Um, and I'm still not convinced that it's not. If any brand was going to release a brand new dedicated cyclocross bike, it probably was going to be Ridley, but it's still, it's yeah. good to see. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and, and one uh, I note about it, it, it actually, it, they, they've made some functional uh, concessions for, compared to a, a traditional cyclocross bike in that it has two bottle cage mounts, which oh. you wouldn't traditionally have got. So, mm. Well, all the, all the hydration for when you're training. Mm. Kind of uh, on the topic of brakes, uh, SRAM had previously released a stop sale notice for all of its 12-speed drop bar shifters. So that's basically everything in the access range and uh, also Apex Mechanical. Uh, the Yeah, the idea of the stop sale was any shops that had stock of the shifters not installed on a bike needed to swap out the bolt. The bolt had from factory too much thread locker applied and that would then limit... Uh, yeah, the clamping force for a given torque. So say you tighten it to six newton meters, it would probably only clamp the effective of like, say four newton meters. I'm making up those numbers, but that's kind of what what we're talking about here. So uh, yeah, they, they replace those bolts, but now SRAM have uh, issued a full recall of those brake levers, but it's not a recall that you'd expect. Uh, the recall is basically just uh, a way to get word out that to warn people that have these aftermarket sold levers. So apparently this doesn't affect those that came stock on a complete bicycle sold by a bike shop. But yeah, just aftermarket levers that, uh, yeah, you can basically uh, undo and retighten and undo and retighten and undo and retighten the bolt on your shifter uh, in order to wear away that thread locker. And then your shifters now pass the recall. It's a weird one. Can I can I interrupt you now and just say this is not a recall? <laughs> it's not even a recall issue. This is just well, <laughs> tell that to the consumer authorities that are calling it a recall. But it's uh, it's not a yeah, recall I mean, they've, issue. They've gone through recall channels in order to to yeah, I guess protect themselves in the U.S. and uh, yeah, people are litigious for for weird reasons. But yeah, very a very simple one this one, uh, and it's it's unusual to see a recall where the safety notice is basically. Uh, if you're comfortable to do so, just undo the bolt and redo it a few times, and you'll be you'll be great. Can I can I undo some of their hard work and say that if you see a clickbaity headline, SRAM recall this week? Um, yeah. You don't, now, if you listen to this in, in the future, I don't know what recalls are going to happen in the future. So, if you see a recall notice in the future, by all means, treat it with the greatest of uh, uh, respect and and adhere to whatever they say. But if you see one today, as you listen to this, as we we're recording it yesterday, mm. it's it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think we might be the only outlet that hasn't uh, hasn't covered this on on the website. But uh yeah, so officially the yeah, you're meant to undo the bolt. I think it's two full turns, redo it up to 6 newton meters and then uh, and then repeat that and then yeah, uh you can then repeat that process doing three full turns undone and then back up to 6 newton meters. Uh and yeah, you re- repeat three four times. Uh they're a bit vague on exactly how many times you need to do it, but basically until you feel the bolt, the resistance and the bolt loosen. Uh, I have experienced this issue with SRAM shifters before and uh, it's a pretty 
simple fix to to overcome this. But yeah, just check that your shifters aren't moving on the handlebar. Hmm. Um, is it is it a worthy pawn to say use your common cement? What <laughs> your common sense? Your common cement. Loctite. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> okay. I, I I have no way. When I have to explain it, it's at last. <laughs> Um, what, well, on that embarrassment, no, what let's I was move going on. to say was actually what I always find fascinating about any of these recalls is just the the nuance of you know the the pre-installed levers are not affected, uh, but the mm. aftermarket ones are. Um, and I just you know not uh, not saying we should delve into this right now. I'm just uh, saying I always find how what a seemingly identical component can end up uh, presumably comes from different factory or something like that, whatever. Yeah. I can only mm. assume the hardware is different that they've, they're using a different thread locker at, at the assembly factories yeah. versus uh, a much more hardened uh, Teflon like uh, thread locker in the aftermarket shifters. But that is wild speculation. Yes. So yes. Uh, anyway, let's, let's move on before we have to recall that. <laughs> Uh, last, last on the headline news for us, uh, Five Dev, which is a company sort of best known for their CNC machine crank sets, they've been getting a bit tricky with uh, making some new dropouts for frames with a large center hole at the the rear derailleur hanger. They've been converting a few of these frames for UDH compatibility, so you could then fit T-type uh, SRAM derailleurs to these frames that you wouldn't expect a T-type derailleur to fit. So. They had one for Yeti. Uh, oddly enough, that that page on their website is now broken. But what has popped up since then is one for specialized drop bar bikes. So specifically, uh, the current Crux and Roubaix. They've got a some kind of hanger adapter or yeah, some sort of uh, adapter system that that lets you turn that frame into a UDH and then mount a standard T-type derailleur onto it. So. Pretty cool mod. Uh, I will say, though, that it's an uh, interesting way they're selling it. Currently, you actually have to buy the derailleur through them. So it's $1,500 to do this through 5Dev. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why they're not just selling the one part that they're actually making. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we can get some clarity on that. But uh, I like this. I like seeing some sort of, uh, yeah, some brands figuring out ways to adapt components that shouldn't otherwise be compatible. So it's uh, a good one to watch for. And yeah, I think hopefully this becomes more of a trend as there are quite a lot of bikes on the, on the market that aren't compatible with, with the way SRAM is going with its drivetrains. And yeah, if, if a frame out there has a, a large enough center hole, then perhaps it too can be adapted. All right, let's uh, let's take a short break with a word from our sponsor, which is us. Uh, yeah, this episode and every episode of the Geek Warning Podcast is brought to you by Escape Collective. And you Escape mean it's not Athletic Greens? It's not Athletic Greens. Okay. It's not Bone Broth. Okay. It's not Manscape. Uh, what are the other generic go-to podcast advertisers? Uh, yeah, it's us. So. We are wholly funded by memberships and subscribers, and this podcast exists solely through that. So if you are a member, thank you. Thank you for making this content exist. Thank you for keeping us gamefully employed and trusting us to keep you informed and entertained. Uh, But if you're not a member, then 
please consider becoming one because this podcast will only continue with your support and everything we do requires the support from the community that enjoys the content. The cost-saving measures while we're, while we're trying to recruit new members have gone to extreme lengths now and that I am cutting my own hair. So for the, mm. for the sake of when we do eventually wow. make it into video that, you know, for the sake of all the, the, the viewers then, um, if we could get to a point where I can afford haircuts again, that would be great. Yeah. All right. Let's return to the episode. Uh, a new segment name of an old thing we've discussed before. I'm just going to call it testing, testing. Uh, Ronan. Are you, are you videoing my you, name suggestion? Testing McTesters? What's your name suggestion? Testy McTesters. Testing McTesters. <laughs> or Testy McTestface. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that 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 failed testing. Okay. So we're not going to go with that. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Ronan, are you warm at the moment? Um, yes. I was I was on a ride today reviewing a new new piece of clothing that I have in, and I realized mid-ride that if we pluralize the name of this piece of kit, you you might get an accurate description of how many listeners might feel about an 808-pound sterling winter thermal skin suit, um, which is which is named the... It's the Q36.5 Thermobolic winter skin suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I had it just kind of struck me mid-ride that if it was called the Thermo Bollocks, a lot, of, a lot of people might <laughs> take that name. Uh, they might latch onto that name. Let's say, yeah. Uh, this thing looks like a wetsuit. What hit, what's going on? Uh, I mean, yeah, I've, I've sort of, I've sort of taken the Mickey a bit there. Um, but uh, this is actually a, a heck of an impressive piece of kit from Q thirty six point five. It's a it's a thermal winter skin suit, sort of fleece-lined, as you might imagine. Uh, and as you might imagine, a skin suit, it is a one-piece, whole-body uh, piece of kit. Uh, it's thermal tights and thermal jacket combined into one piece to, yeah, to make a thermal winter skin suit. Is it is it one? Is it a skin suit for aerodynamic purposes, or is it a skin suit for like well, the, being able to quickly get into the shower after you've had your had your ride? Well, it it has so it has like a, a race fit or a figure hugging fit or whatever you might want to call it an, an aerodynamic like fit. Um, but the the sort of the the main claim around the the benefits of the deciding to make it a skin suit is that in combining these two, typically separate pieces of kit a, a, a winter tights and winter jacket into one you can eliminate some of the sort of heat loss through the the different layers by by effectively trapping them into one layer if that makes sense mm. Mm. Uh, and you're to, so aerodynamic to, the cold wind can't stick to you to read straight off their website the skin suit works to minimize the loss of warmth between the layers while offering a wrist fit without sacrificing effective insulation um, mm. I, I I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago I reviewed the ASOS Yoda jacket um, mm-hmm. which was this very much fits into the same category that that ASOS Yoda jacket was like 500 and something pound if I remember correctly and being that expensive you just wanted to be able to hate it and it was frustratingly good um, and this is frustratingly so much better again 
than the ASOS jacket. Mm. Um, well, this, the saying in the world is the the rich only get richer, and clearly the rich also stay warm. Uh, so, the rich have thermal bollocks. <laughs> yep. Right. Um, it's it, it's it's also got a pouch, doesn't it? It's got a pocket at the front with like a so that's I mean a parachute. I, I will say I do have a couple of issues with it. Uh, primarily the fact that it's all black for use in dark, cold conditions. I can just never get behind that. Um, yeah, it's always a, a a major issue for me with winter clothing and, and rain clothing in general. Um, the other sort of glaringly obvious problem with making a winter skin suit is that uh, and I mentioned this on Placeholders After Dark which is like the members only version of the the regular Placeholders podcast that we do on a weekly basis also today Um, but one of the issues with having a winter skin suit is that you know you when you wear be it shorts tights three quarter lengths whatever when you wear a lower half of your body garment you that has a chamois you need to wash it after every ride. Mm. But when you've got an upper half garment, like especially like a winter jacket, uh, you might not want to wash it after every ride because washing will, it, it, it just does sort of deteriorate the garment and especially the performance yeah. of things like water repellency and breathability yeah. and all that just is hampered the more you wash it. And with these two combined into one, you are forced to, to wash them. You're, you're going to have to wash that jacket every single time you 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 wear it so that to me is an yeah. issue and then finally the 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 pocket that you mentioned in the front that's got a pouch and there's like a fold out windbreaker layer that that sort of attaches to the front of the the jacket portion of the skin suit with four three or four magnetic points if i remember correctly it's sort of like a wind blocker so you crest a climb you're about to have a descent you can pull out this wind blocker stick it to the front and then at the bottom you can stuff it back in again that's a nice idea in theory um because it's black i'm always wearing my high-vis vest over the top of it so i haven't been able to i need to actually just go out and try that intentionally someday but yeah because it's black i'm always wearing something over the top of it and can't do that easily secondly when i've done it in the house not on a bike not moving it just doesn't feel like it's all that secure feels like it's going to flap a lot and feels like it's going to be hard to stuff back into the pocket again once I've done it. Now, I, I, I'm not, that's not me passing judgment on it. I need to try it on the bike. But it just seems mm-hmm. to me like, uh, yeah, that's a, a nice idea in theory. But firstly, probably needs to be inside the jacket rather than outside. And secondly, probably isn't all that e- easily in function. All right. Well, there you have it. Thermobolic, the skin suit I will never own. I mean, they, uh, they, they must have, they, they, they surely must have realized when they were naming this yeah I'd, perhaps yeah not, i think but. they've they've perhaps missed uh half the population with that name but uh it's anyway mm. uh what i'm testing um i'm actually wrapping it up at the moment i'm hope to be done by the time we finish recording after we finish recording this i hope to wrap up the review and get it posted so it will be live by the time you're listening to this but uh Trek Demano AL, they they came out with a new version of it, the Gen 4, uh, toward the end of last year from memory. And yeah, it's it's Trek's most budget road bike. It's their best-selling road bike platform. And yeah, I previously reviewed this platform in the Gen 3 and, and basically praised it, saying it was one of the best entry-level bikes and it was incredibly versatile, incredibly fun to ride. And I even tried to buy it at the 
peak of at the start of COVID when supply was really drying up. I, I thought I'd turn it into a gravel bike because it could clear 40 millimeter tires in this cheap aluminium road frame. Really impressive. Uh, but as my review will get to, I think they screwed it up. They had a winning bike and I think they messed it up. Uh, so. They went, they concealed the cable routing through the headset on a budget bike uh so this the the model i'm testing is the 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 most basic of models uh and it's got mechanical disc brakes it's got you know mechanical shifting but you're talking about a bike with a fairly rudimentary aluminium frame like it's you know it's not the tubes like a, a nicely shaped but it's it's still a, a fairly heavy bike but it's got cheap disc brakes it's got shimano claris shifting which is eight speed. It's got a square taper crank that flexes when you when you're out of the saddle because it's you know you can hear it against the front derailleur flexing. It's all the touch points are nice, but it's it's a ten and a half kilogram road bike before pedals, and I kind of just feel like if they'd kept the cable routing outside of the headset, the brakes and the shifting might work a bit more smoothly, and it wouldn't cost hundreds of dollars to service if or when the headset bearing needs replacing on a bike like this. So once again, I'm reminded that I'm all fine with uh, bikes with integrated headset cabling in a market that can afford the service costs and namely in a market that can afford to have electronic wireless shifting. So at that point, you really only have brake hoses to contend with. I'm really not okay with... uh, the use of yeah hiding the cables for aesthetic reasons when you've got four mechanical cables running through it just rubbing away and just causing all sorts of headaches for mechanics down the road uh and obviously increased service bills for for a person that arguably can't afford the increased service bill because they're buying an entry-level bike so yeah there you have it i'm i'm a little saddened by this bike yeah um I guess, as much as I agree with you, I kind of do have to wonder though, our, our Trek kind of damned they do and damned they don't here. And that sure. time and time again, regardless of who I speak to, what most riders seem to want is the clean front end. Uh, and you, yep. you try you try to you sort of say, do you realize this? And do you realize that? And So so the latest specialized LA, which again, I've got a review of this online. Uh, the, I reviewed the LA Sport. They didn't go this way. They they actually kept the, the cables external of the headset and I praise them for that. Uh, and again, yeah, it's an entry-level bike that will be running mechanical shifting. Some run mechanical brakes. And in that situation, it just makes sense. Yes, it's not as pretty, but I think Specialized actually took the practical route as opposed to trying to take the sales led route which is to have a high-end looking bike that sacrifices function Mm. uh so yeah that said uh i i only tested the cheapest version because that was all that was available in australia i actually wanted to test the i believe it's the al4 which has shimano tiegra components on it at that point you get hydraulic disc brakes which solves my complaints related to the mechanical brakes uh, and yeah, obviously you still have to contend with mechanical gear housing running through the, the headset, but at least you can change the inner cable without too much fuss on these because it is full length housings. Uh, so yeah, if for those listening and that are intrigued by this bike, the, the AL4 is probably my pick, but the, the Demana AL2 is tested is, 
yeah, left me left me wanting more. Um, it's a shame because yeah, it was such a good platform. So I'm a little sad by this one. Hmm. I, I was I was I was going to go into a tangent about how my first ever road bike was a Trek 1000, 2003 yeah, Trek 1000, Sora 8-speed uh, rim brakes, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. how much do you know? How much it weighed and how much it cost? It cost it weighed nine and a half kilos, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And okay, it, with pedals or without? Uh, I'm gonna say without because it it okay. would have been two straps. Um, sure. Okay. So, so it's a kilogram lighter, and how much did it cost? It cost, if I remember correctly, I, I can't remember if it was five hundred euro or six hundred euro. Um, yeah. But I do recall. So I had I had worked for my dad for an entire school summer holidays, like two months every day working with him. At the end of it, he had said to me, "You've worked all summer. You haven't had any. You haven't had any Pokemon or pay or whatever. What do you want for your entire summer?" as a treat now you're going back to school or whatever and I had said I want one of those racing bikes with the triangular handlebars which proves to you mm. that time trial bikes do bring people into the sport because mm. <laughs> it, I, my theory is that I had seen the local triathlon club doing a 10 mile time trial somebody had aero bars that hooked me and that was what I wanted I think it, we're, it brings person into the sport I'm going to say it brings people <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, so we had gone to I don't know why we didn't go to the local bike shop presumably because we didn't know of any that existed at the time and there probably wasn't actually all that many at the time uh, we went the whole way to Dublin uh, and the Dublin city centre into the psychological bike shop there seen the US Postal Service team colours Trek 1000 mm-hmm. that was the bike that I really wanted having seen Lance Armstrong on TV and yeah. then seen the price of it and both of us nearly hit the floor and promptly turned and walked out and thought 500 euro or 600 euro, I can't remember exactly what it was, for a bicycle, yeah. that's bonkers. And yeah. um, obviously can't thank him enough because about halfway up the street, my dad turned to me and said, do you really want the bike? And I said, I really want the bike. And he went back and he bought it for me. So that good dad. That changed my life right there. But um, yeah, yeah. That in hindsight, that was a, that was, a bargain by today's standards. Well, that's the thing, right? So you you nearly balked and nearly didn't get into the sport over a 500, 600 pound expense. Euro, this, which would have been... Sorry, Euro. Again. So this bike that I'm testing is approximately double that in price with lower level components and an extra kilogram. Mm-hmm. Like I know I know inflation and all that has, has had an impact on what things cost, but... My God, like this is not this is not welcoming people into the sport by giving them such a, a heavy bike that actually feels quite sluggish to ride. I think, unfortunately, I think disc brakes have kind of ruined the entry level point for a lot of people. It's it's made road bikes worse at this level, and I, there are some exceptions to this rule. Like Cannondale, they still do their most entry level road bike uh, with rim brakes. I actually think that's quite smart. Uh, I think disc brakes needs to stay at a certain price point and it can be uh, something people get as their second bike or if they have the budget to get there, then get there. But I, I really don't like this trend of forcing every person looking to get into road cycling onto disc brakes to begin with. I just, yeah, I think it's, again, I think it's like the the headset cable routing where it's it's done for aesthetics. And I think people look now at what, 
the pros are racing and every single pro is on disc brakes and every high-end bike is now disc brakes and the brands just assume that their entry-level bikes need to look the same and I just really disagree with it. Spoiler alert for you also, the only thing that I cared about that it was US Postal Service colors. I, as a yep. brand new cyclist to the sport, had no idea that it wasn't carbon fiber, had no idea that it had Sora instead of Jurace. Sure. You know, the wheels were wheels, they were round. Yeah. Um, you know, so th- those things are probably, uh, the disc brakes and the internal cable routing are things that you can probably sell on the shop floor, but when you walk into a mm-hmm. bike shop, at least from my experience, it's, you know, the the things that are recognizable are like the, the paint jobs and that. The other thing, and I mean, we're kind of like a broken record at this point talking about this, but that Trek 1000, I have never actually looked up the geometry of it, but I dare say it, it's probably got a racing-friendly geometry, whereas most bikes in entry-level range now are less. There, there isn't really a bike that I'm sure. aware of in the price point that, yeah. that offers a, a racing geometry. And I'm kind of okay with that. Oh. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think racing geometry is still kind of that, that second, like, yes, I mean, maybe I'm sort if of you're, you're young and youthful. There that if you're walking in, yeah. you probably don't know all that much about geometry anyway. Sure. But I'm just yeah. thinking if you want to get into racing, it, I mean, maybe it doesn't speed up how quickly you need to replace that bike, but it could. Yeah. It's kind of my point. Yeah, I think I think there's two there's two ways of looking at it. Is if if a middle aged person walks into a bicycle uh, into a bicycle shop and wants to buy their first road bike, then endurance geometry is probably right for them. Whereas if a if a teenage kid walks into a bike shop and wants to buy their first bike and probably is going to get competitive, then the endurance based entry level geometry is probably wrong for them. And so. who does the is, is there a correlation there between the the pricing and the geometry? terms of the, the teenager probably isn't <laughs> it seems it seems so yeah 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 anyway uh for more of that rant uh head to escapecollective.com and find my review of the trek al ronan do we have a psa this week uh i was going to actually segue to it earlier during oh. our uh, SRAM recall yes. discussion, but I thought we were being yes. very time efficient and I, 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 I thought a, a bit of inefficiency might have been of use to us to sort of eat up the minutes that we were seemingly short of at that point. Uh, and now you look at the, the recorder here and we're on 58 minutes already, so we, we, we should probably speed this one yeah. up and I don't need to Yeah, I really, I really struggled to move you on from the echoey <laughs> pedals. So. <laughs> and you're really struggling to get me to uh, actually tell you what the PSA is this week, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Will I, All right, will I keep right. you in suspense what? any longer or will I tell you? Please tell me. <laughs> uh, my PSA is um, lever-related, UCI-related, and that is just with the new lever inclination rule. Uh, a couple of videos have emerged of mechanics simply whacking the levers to get them in line and compliant with the the handlebar test, the brake lever test jig, and it's just a message to say that we shouldn't be doing that with carbon bars um i mean if you've ever tried it with alloy bars it just doesn't work um yeah and it works with carbon bars but it really shouldn't be done and that you could be just like delaminating that that yeah, section gouging of the, and delaminating yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that section of the handlebar where the lever is clamped to um and i mean if we're worried about anything damaging our handlebars and potentially being dangerous uh lever inclination is probably secondary to damaging the bars by just 
yanking the the levers to to straighten them up or whatever. Or you know, alternatively, if you're not racing UCI races and you just want to test the inward angle, just bashing those levers in to to get them to to, to yeah. bend in. Or what's probably more likely is you've had a fall, you're standing on the side of the road, your levers are already twisted. Um, yeah, most people most often just sort of moving them back out by force what we really should be doing is yeah. getting out a hex key there and loosen them up resetting them tighten them up correctly again and as soon as you get home taking out the bar tape or not even probably well I don't know but you should at some point be checking beneath the hand the bar tape to see if there's any damage done from the crash yeah yeah absolutely so yeah uh, stop forcing things into position I think is is the, the takeaway with that one I, I, I don't know if you've uh, seen it or not but over the weekend I shared a video last weekend of uh certain two-time Slovenian yep. Tour de France winner um, yep. at an event I was at recently just literally just whacking away at the bars over and over the levers over and over again <laughs> and I don't know if like they'd been moved in a flight or if it was because he was at like a UCI event that he wanted to get his lever angle correct for the photos mm-hmm. but for whatever reason yeah the, the levers had to get straightened up awfully quickly mm. Mm. oh pug uh I've got another PSA and it's a pretty quick one, but uh, just don't forget to turn off your if you if you're into chain waxing, just don't forget to turn off your crockpot overnight. Uh, there was a a report out of the UK from uh, someone, a very good mechanic out of the UK. Uh, I won't name names, uh, but yeah, they they were waxing a chain and accidentally forgot about it and uh, came in the morning to find uh, a, a ruined bag of. Uh, absolute black uh wax and uh a smoking mess so yeah just uh play it safe because yeah crock pots the you know it's a slow cooker it in theory it, it should be able to be left but especially if it's on a high setting that you've you've turned it on to to melt the wax um that will overheat and boil and and can yeah cause uh bodily harm and and fires so yeah please uh keep in mind that yeah if you're if you're melting stuff in your chain pay attention to it Set yourself a timer, set yourself an alarm, and come back to it within an hour. Um, when I seen this on the run sheet, I had assumed that it was that that you had forgotten about it overnight. <laughs> but uh, so, apologies for uh, blaming you in the wrong there. But um, it it got me thinking. I usually set mine to like saute mode in the hot in the slow cooker just to speed up the process. And and I know mm-hmm. that you want to get it to like isn't like mid 70 degrees or so celsius yeah. for your for your wax you, do, you don't want to overheat it um, no you don't want to boil it yeah and that was that that was i was going to give us a third psa for the day is that not to boil your wax <laughs> yeah yep and, and for everyone shaking their head in disgust at the moment uh just use drip lube drip lubes are great now you can get wax based drip lubes they're fantastic there's lots of good options uh yeah you don't you don't need to uh think we're crazy don't let it drip um, on it yep yep okay. all right let's uh let's just wrap up with a, a quick bit of news from around the world uh Ama sports they uh yeah they they listed on the new york stock exchange and fell a little short of their 8.7 billion dollar ballpark valuation uh yeah they they ended up having a market capitalization of 6.49 billion so yeah stock prices didn't quite hit the number they wanted obviously there's a little bit of disappointment there but also can't be hugely surprising for a uh yeah chinese owned company listing on the new york stock exchange that has 
uh, a couple of billion in debt. So <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, for those wondering how Amos, Amos Sports fits into cycling, uh, I mean, they're, they're best known for owning um, like the likes of Solomon and Arcteryx, but uh, they also own Envy. So Envy is now part of a, a publicly listed company. So yeah, hopefully they continue to grow. Obviously, they've been making moves into being a, a whole bike company. Um, you know, now with frames and sponsoring in in uh, a pro tour level. So yeah, it's it's suddenly there. They seem to be going up and up at this point. So let's see where that one goes. Uh, Curve out of Australia, the Australian brand that are known for sort of pushing the boundaries of how far and how. Uh, uh, outback you can get with a bike. Uh, their Walmer bar, which is originally named after the width of a, a popular bridge, commuting bridge in Melbourne, uh, just because they had a handlebar that was actually wider than what the bridge was before it has now been widened due to upgrades. But yeah, they, uh, long story short, they've come with out with a carbon Walmer bar. So it's available in 43, 46, and 50 millimeter widths, which are measured at the hoods. Uh, the widest one is actually 65 centimeters at the drops, which is pretty wide, but surprisingly, they actually have wider in the original aluminium bar. Uh, but yeah, expect to pay 500 Australian dollars for this one, and the handlebar weighs about 304 grams in the narrowest width. So uh, as for why you'd want it, uh, personally, I think the main reason is uh, better vibration um, absorption, better compliance versus the aluminium bar. Um, but yeah, they're obviously lighter and uh, more neat cable routing as well. So there you go, new product. In the UK, Ronan, uh, returning to Manchester. Uh, actually, I don't know if it's been to Manchesterville, but returning to the UK is the Bespoked Bike Show. Uh, they are coming in, yeah, June 28 to June 30 of the set dates. And yeah, it will be held in Manchester. So it took a year out of the UK. It went to Dresden, Germany last year. Uh, but yeah, coming back, returning, uh, and it happens to coincide with the same weekend as Made Australia. I think that's it. I think we're ready to wrap up. I yeah, I'm assuming those dates coincide with Tour de France also, which is a bit disappointing and closely mm. not doesn't overlap, but closely uh, to Eurobike also, which is like first week in July next year. If I remember correctly, okay. this year now at this point, um, huh. which I'm, maybe that's why they moved it out of Germany again. Possibly, but it just means that unfortunately I won't be going, despite it being oh. very close. Um, oh, because right I, I know I'm committed to the tour and Eurobike. Oh, well, hopefully we'll hear about that show then, as opposed to be able to see it. Uh, all right, Ron, it's time to wrap up. But uh, before we do. Why should people sign up to Escape Collective? Well, I mean, that is that is what keeps the, the lights on at this place. If you like what we do, if you like the podcast, or you like the written content that we have over on escapecollective.com, the only reason that that happens is for our members, and the only reason it exists is because our members sign up. Um, our members are effectively our bosses here. We only write and produce content that we think you will find entertaining and we would like to do that for as long in the future as is any way possible and the only way for that to happen is if more of our dear listeners sign up at escapecollective.com forward slash join thank you Ronan. all right 
We'll catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Geek Warning, and uh, yeah, see you out there.